Pastor Larry Chrisman and Carissa Chrisman, congratulations on your anniversary. Pastor, you have certainly been a trendsetter. Uh, you have been someone that I've admired from afar. And I uh, can't wait till we get together again in fellowship uh, with your wife, wife Carissa. And you guys have raised three beautiful children as they approach adulthood. Uh, you can see the manifestation of holy parents and godly teaching coming forth in their lives. Both of you come from great families, and uh, I'm just proud to know you. So Carol and I wish you the very best on this very special day. Congratulations, man, and I know that the best is yet to come for you and Carissa and your entire family. Keep treading the path and uh, keep being an example of godly leadership. God bless you and congratulations. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is your day, Pastor Chrisman and Lady Chrisman. We're so God godly proud of you and all the work that you're doing there in the Bright Temple and Shelbyville area. So proud of you as a pastor and how the Lord has blessed you over the years to become a great leader. And thank you, Lady Chrisman, for being right by his side, working diligently, doing the work that a first lady should be doing. I'm thankful for how you have reared the grandkids in church and brought them up uh, in the admonition of God. God, have, God has really blessed you all, and I'm so godly grateful and thankful for that. Thank you, Bright Temple, for all that you're doing for your leaders, because the Bible lets us know that we should uh, honor our leaders and not muzzle the ox. And we thank you for all that you've done, and we love you, and God bless you, Bright Temple. God bless you, uh, Elder Pastor Dr. Chrisman and Lady Chrisman, and we love you, and God bless you very much. Congratulations to both of you for this year's work and all the other years that you've done. God bless you. Love you both. Hello. Today I want to celebrate and honor my friend and brother, Pastor Dr. Larry Christman Jr. and Lady Carissa Christman. I want to celebrate and honor you on your pastoral anniversary. I thank God for the impact that you're making in the Shelbyville community and in the lives of those that uh, worship there at Bright Temple Church of God in Christ. Truly our families have been connected down through the years and I am so thankful that we have come to know one another and to be called friends and most of all family. I want to let you know how much I love and appreciate you and I encourage um, you guys just to continue to do the work of the Lord that he has assigned to your hands to do. I praise God for you. I love you. And I look forward to celebrating many more pastoral anniversaries with you. God bless you. I love you. Good morning, Bright Temple. I bring you greeting from the Coma Chapel Church of God in Christ. I just feel like it's an honor and a privilege to be able to speak on these two sweet spirit people. Pastor and First Lady Christmas. I remember in 2016 when I first got here, they showed me nothing but gratitude and love along with the Bright Temple family. And I want to leave with y'all a scripture because I know every day don't be Sunday and I know every day the sun don't shine. Psalms 91, the Lord, he is our refuge and he's our fortune and him will we trust. Be blessed. Be encouraged and know that I love you. Grace and peace, my brothers and sisters. What a joy and honor it is to join in today's celebration. 
of our brother and our sister, Dr. Larry Crispin and Lady Carissa Crispin. Listen, we've been knowing each other since our, since we were children, really. And to see how God has blessed you and your ministry, your life, your family, uh, we're just all enamored by what God has done through your ministry. We didn't expect anything different from what we're seeing uh, happen through your life. You have been a blessing for so many years to so many people, but especially right there at Bright Temple Church of God in Christ in Shelbyville, Tennessee. You indeed are a visionary, an excellent teacher, a preacher, a visionary, and organized administrator, thinker, and uh, God has so graced you with all of those abilities and those gifts to bring glory to his name and expand the work and the ministry there in the Shelbyville area. And my sister, Lady Christman, we honor you and salute you uh, for the work that you do there with the women's ministry and so many other moving parts that you hold it all together there at the church and with the family. And we're so proud of what we see happening even with your children. Lady Stephanie and I, you know we love you all. We count you as brother and sister. And uh, we're just excited to join in in celebrating and giving honor where honor is due. So from my house to your house, from the Citadel to Bright Temple, from the Tennessee Metropolitan Jurisdiction and the International AIM Convention of the Church of God in Christ, we say congratulations. My brother and sister, remember this, God is up to something and you're right in the middle of it. Something good is getting ready to happen to you right now. Congratulations. and travel and that's a lot and but we wanted to meet in person amen we didn't want to have we kind of had a semi-virtual service last year for anniversary but I wanted to see your faces on this morning and I praise God that I'm able to be here with you and we're here to be to be here together amen come on give God some praise that we're here together I praise God for that and I thank God for each of you who've come to share with us on this morning and I'm just going to share with you from the word of the Lord and I'm going to share with you a few things that pastoring has taught me. A few things that pastoring has taught me. Nehemiah 4 and 15 reads, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another in the place where I where where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there our God will fight for us may I pray with you Heavenly Father Lord I ask that you bless and touch us in these few destiny moments allow our hearts and our minds to be receptive to what you have to say to us in Christ's name we pray amen God bless you when I read this particular text, and actually this was part of my daily reading a few weeks ago, 
we go th- I try and go through the Bible each year, and part of my daily reading as, we were go- as I travel through the Bible was this particular story, and it spoke to me. And while it was speaking to me, I did not know that I'd be sharing with you on this morning, but I felt that it was appropriate. I want to talk to you, if I can whet your appetite for a bit, I want to talk to you, and it's not our subject as much as just a three, of, three images that I want you to keep in mind as we share what God has brought to us and taught us as pastor. I'm going to talk to you about the movie, the refrigerator, and the 3D glasses. The movie, the refrigerator, and the 3D glasses. And we'll get to each one of those and share what I mean by each of those images that I've shared. When I look in this text, to, to simplify what has happened, Nehemiah got a letter from the king while they were in captivity that allowed him to return to his homeland, for those who don't know the story, to rebuild the walls. And while he was there, he also was enlisted help, and the king gave him resources as well. The the captive king gave him resources so that he could rebuild the walls there in Jerusalem, his homeland. He had enlisted the help of the men to participate with him, but in any work, you will find out that there will be resistance. Anything worth accomplishing will encounter resistance. And then earlier in the text, you'll find the Sanballat and some of those leaders who were in the neighboring uh, regions and countries around them uh, were, not, were not happy that they were rebuilding the wall. They began to spread lies about them to the king, and they, they told falsehoods about what would happen once the walls were rebuilt. But they were doing everything that they could to be contrary to the work that was happening there in the building of the wall. So while Nehemiah was building the wall, he sees this these, well, I say mockers or these critics. And that brings us to what I want to discuss with you regarding the movie. Let me give you this imagery. Now, what it takes to make a movie is quite a bit. If you ever read into it, it takes a lot to make a movie because they begin with a particular idea, a concept. A movie starts with a simple idea or a concept. That concept is then built out into a storyline. After the storyline is built, then they have writers who turn that storyline into dialogue so that each person who is going to be an actor in that movie has has a script. They have the dialogue to push along the storyline that was simply an idea in someone's mind at some point. So they go from an idea to a story or plot, and they go from a plot to, to presenting dialogue so that each, each character has, has a script in which they should say to push along the storyline. And then after they've done all of that, then they actually get into the process of finding characters, of finding actors to play these parts. They have auditions and m- many auditions for each of the roles that will be a part in pushing this plot along. They go, they have auditions, and then people apply, and then they choose who they desire to act in the movie. But not only that, it's not just the actors, but they have to have, have, to have writers. They have to have people who bring the coffee. They have to p- have people who clean up. They have to have people who build the sets. They have to have a, a multiple camera crew who watches all of the things. They have to have a continuity director, just one person, to make sure that when they stitch all of the, fi- all of the, the scripts, all of the, the stories together and all the little edits together, that it actually makes sense in the storyline. They have a person for every little thing that you could think of to create the movie. So they do all of that. They actually shoot and film the movie, which in 
itself encounters dangers, as you may have heard even in the news from, a, some, from something, an accident that just happened on this past week. It has its own dangers while they're filming. They have to sometimes go to multiple locations, and they do all of these things. And while they're doing them, they're simply trying to complete this, the movie while also staying on budget. There is a budget to the film. So then there's somebody in accounting firm that is just taking care of the budget, the money that is spent. So they're keeping up with the money. They're trying to complete the film. They film it. And then after they've actually shot the movie, then they have to go to the editing room. And for us, I tell you, I didn't know anything about this a a year and a half ago, but we know a lot about editing now. (laughs) You have to, editing sometimes is more difficult than shooting because sometimes you just take the picture, shoot it, and that's fine. But you may spend days and hours just editing that, that film. So they do all of that, and when they finally come to a conclusion of what they like, they also have to make sure that they rate the movie. They have to send it to certain people, certain people who will look at it beforehand to make sure that it fits into a rating category. They do all of that, and finally one day, if if enough people like it, the movie is presented to a board, the board approves it, it goes before, and then they present it out into the world, and we actually see this movie in movie theaters. All of this, and I I promise you, I don't know it all, so there are several things that I left out, but I'm giving you the highlights of what it takes just to create one movie. So then they do all of that, and then guess what? One critic will sit in that movie for an hour and a half and come out, and in 15 to 20 minutes, they'll tell you how terrible that movie is. They'll tell you, don't see it. Don't waste your time. Don't bother. That person will mock and and attempt to derail that movie, not considering and thinking of all the effort and all the time and all the hours and all the money that was spent to create that movie. What I'll tell you is that it's a lot easier to mock than it is to build. It's a lot easier to mock than it is to build. And I found that out as pastor, it's a, it's a, and when you're working with the church and when you're working in the ministry, it's a lot easier for people to criticize what is happening than it is to find people who will help build the work. Nehemiah, they, he, they were just trying to build the walls. It, seemed, it, seemed, it didn't even seem like a crazy idea. He was rebuilding the walls. He wasn't even creating new walls. He was rebuilding the walls that were already there. It seems like a simple idea, but even in rebuilding the walls, something that seemed necessary, something that seemed fundamental, they found those who were hating and mocking their work. And I came to tell somebody, no matter what you're working on, you're going to find critics. You're going to find people who are mocking what you're doing. But I want you to remember this because I need you to get it in your spirit. When somebody says something that hurts your feelings, I want you to get this in your spirit and say this to yourself. Say it's a lot easier to mock than it is to build. It's a lot easier for them to put their lips on me and and criticize what I'm doing without knowing the fullness of what I'm doing. Don't you know a lot of people, they'll, they'll say things off the cuff and then every once in a while it may hurt your feelings because they struck a chord that they didn't know about. They were saying something that spoke deeper inside of you because they did not know the fullness of what you've been dealing with. They did not know the fullness of your effort or how much work it took you to get to where you are now. Some people, they they criticize you now, but they don't understand where you came from. And if you understood where I came from, maybe you wouldn't criticize where I am right now. What I'll tell you is, Pastor, I've learned it's easier to mock than it is to build. It's easier to find critics than it is to find builders because building requires a skill that mocking does not require. It does not take a lot of skill to mock, but it takes a lot of skill, 
a lot of patience, and a lot of determination to build. So what I'm telling somebody right now, you're building something in your life. You're building something for your family. You're building something in what God has told you to establish for yourself. Baby, do not be deterred or dissuaded by what somebody else has to say about you because it takes a lot less effort to mock than it does to build. I told you I'd talk to you about the movie, but next I want to talk to you about the refrigerator. And when I began to think about the refrigerator, I began to think of what we read in our text. In our text, Nehemiah was talking about people who had different purposes inside of building the wall. They did different things. Some people had to be multiple. Some people had to do multiple things. He said some builders, they were building with one hand, but they had the sword ready on the other hand. So they had to be prepared not only to build, but but also to fight. There are some who may have been higher on the wall. They were building, but they weren't fighting. And then there were those who may have been lower on the wall. They were fighting, but they were not building. But everybody was part of the team, and everybody's job was important. Something I've learned as pastor is that everybody's not the same. All members are not the same. And you have to appreciate everyone for what they do well. Everybody doesn't do the same thing well. I've learned, and it was as a young man, when when you first start preaching, you like to preach and hear people shout and yell at you. But I learned as pastor, sometimes the people who don't say anything are the ones who are listening the best. They're the ones who are taking the better notes. There are some that uh, uh, there was one who who would just sit there. They wouldn't say anything. But then they came up to me one day and talked to me at length about a sermon that I had preached four years ago. And I began to understand that, that people react and respond in different ways. Everybody's not the same. But yet everybody has an ability and everybody has a role and everybody's role is important. Just because somebody's role is different does not mean that they are not important. And we need to begin to appreciate people for what they have because each of us has a different capacity. And being pastor that talk, I, I learned that very quickly because one of the first lessons I learned is you can't do everything by yourself. You can't do it by yourself. You can try to do it by yourself and you can wear yourself out and kill yourself and give, you a heart, give yourself a heart attack. But you cannot do everything by yourself. You're going to have to trust others to work. And then even then, sometimes it's hard because a person like me and, I, and, and my wife blames it on me being like my mom because we like to get things done a certain way and it needs to be done to, to a certain standard. And, and, and if it's not done to that standard, sometimes it's frustrating. But you have to understand that even when you pass it off, everybody's not going to do it exactly like you do. But you still have to appreciate what they do. Everybody's not going to have, have everybody's not going to have the same passion for it as you did. Everybody's not going to have the same heart of it. Everybody's not going to meet out the details just like you do. But that doesn't mean you have to try to do it by yourself. But you have to trust and believe that everybody, despite their lack of capacity, even when they're they're stepping outside of what you'd ordinarily do, you have to understand that often they're just doing their very best. And someone else's best may not look like yours, but that doesn't mean it's not their best. Because everybody's capacity is different. You might have, uh, their bowl might be bigger than yours or their bowl might be smaller than yours. But when it's empty, it's empty. When they've poured out all they have, that's it. And you need to appreciate, and this is something I've learned, that most people, and this will help you in your relationships and how you deal with people. Most people are doing the best based on what they know. 
Most people are doing the best based on what they know. You'll find some outliers. Some people aren't trying. But most people are doing the best based on what they know. And if you have that in your spirit, then that will change how you look at people because you'll be like, well, they did this, but I would have done that. But hold on. Their capacity might be different. How they do things may be different, but that doesn't mean it wasn't their best. Remember Jesus when he went and he observed the offering and the widow gave her two mites and he, God, Jesus blessed her because he said she, some of these men gave out of their abundance, but she gave everything that she had. Before you mock somebody else, be careful because they literally may be giving everything that they have. Capacity changes. Capacity is different. And as pastor, one of the things and one of the liberating things is understanding that you don't know everything and you can't do everything. It helps you when it's somebody else tries to mock your effort. Because sometimes you it may be a situation that, uh, as it was with me, you may you may leave work a little frustrated. You may have had a, 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 diff, a long, difficult week. You may have had a a personal tragedy that occurred in your own family. But then as pastor, you go and reach out to other people. And then even after you've done that, you're you're leaving frustrated and tired. And you're dealing with the own personal tragedy inside of your uh, your own life. So you're struggling emotionally and you're struggling with strength. And then you might go and visit someone. Go visit someone just to let them know that pastor's thinking about you, pastor's praying for you. And then you might get the same greeting that Jesus got when he went to, the, to, to observe Mary and Martha with Lazarus. Martha approaches Jesus and said, well, you're here, but you got here too late. If you had gotten here a little bit earlier, then my brother would not have died. I'm just trying to explain to you that even when you give your best, that don't mean people won't criticize you. And if they'll criticize Jesus, don't think they won't criticize you. And when it comes to capacity, Jesus is literally on the cross. Dying for the sins of the world. And yet people are mocking him. If you really be the savior, then come down. The thief on the other side, remember, he said, we don't talk about him much. He said, well, if you're really the savior, then you come down and bring us down too. Even, even the religious leaders saying, we're, we're, that proves that he's not our savior. Because if he truly were our savior, he would call legions of angels and they would come and rescue him off the cross. Our savior is literally dying on the cross. And people are asking him to do it a little better. To give a little bit more. And what I've learned as pastor, that even when you're giving your best, somebody might ask for more. And even as Christians, when you're giving your best, somebody asks for more. And if they did the same to Jesus, how would you not anticipate that they do the same to us? But what you have to understand is you have to know your capacity. You have to know what you're able to give. Because, baby, if you don't know your capacity and you don't know what you can give, you'll give too much and then you'll be lost. Paul Paul said it this way. He said, I have to make sure that I stay grounded, that I stay firm in the scriptures so that I don't save everybody else and then I'll be lost. You have to know your capacity to give because you can give to everybody else and help everybody else. And then you're emotionally drained and you're at home thinking about hurting yourself because you've given too much. Somebody say this with me. Say, know your capacity. Know what you're able to give. Know what you're able to present to somebody else. Because the other good thing about that is when you know that you've given your best, baby, you can go home and you can lay down on your pillow and you can sleep. And you're not going to allow anybody else who says something about you to worry you or to bother you because you need to be able to know how much 
you're able to give. See, see, Nehemiah, when he was assigning the task here, he's like, well, this one can only fight, so I'll put him on this part of the wall. This one can carry the sword and build, so I'll put him on that part of the wall. This one might not may only be able to build, so we'll put him there. Well, this person might be able to bring them water and sustenance along the wall, so I'll give them that assignment. And he said, I have beside me the horn, the horn blower, so he, the, his only job is to blow the trumpet. But his job is important. But I can imagine somebody saying, mm, I can blow the horn. Why am I having to carry the sword and build? But baby, maybe, maybe God has given you multiple talents and he's doing what he can do and you're doing what you can do. And just because I'm doing multiple things and it seems like somebody is doing less than me, God is assigning us based on what he knows that we're capable. God is faithful who will not suffer us to be tempted above that we are able. God knows our abilities. He knows our talents. So he only trusts us with as much as we're able to bear. So whatever you're dealing with right now, I want you to just imagine and consider this thought for a moment that maybe you're a little more talented than you realize. Maybe you're handling multiple assignments because you have multiple abilities that you have not unlocked. Maybe you're stronger than you think you are. And instead of crying about where you are and crying about what you're dealing with, maybe you need to recognize your own strength and recognize your own ability. And I told you a couple of weeks ago, maybe God is literally trying to unlock an ability that he poured inside of you that you just haven't tapped into. Maybe God is allowing the challenge of this moment to stir up the gift that he knows is inside of you. When I, I told you I was going to tell you about the refrigerator and I haven't forgotten. When you ask somebody to give something more than they have. It's like looking in the refrigerator, not seeing what you want, coming back five minutes later, looking in the refrigerator again, and expecting what you want to be there. The refrigerator only holds things. It does not create things. So, and you know you've done it, and I've done it too. You've looked and it's as if you anticipate something new is going to be in there this time that wasn't there five minutes ago. But it has what it has. It can only give you what it's got. And when it comes to capacity, when you ask somebody to give you something that they don't have, it's like looking at the refrigerator a second time and expecting something to be there that wasn't there the first time. Understand your capacity and appreciate other people's capacity and start with the notion, which I do every day, is that most people are doing the best they can with what they have and with what they know. That's what I mean about the refrigerator. The final thing I want to talk to you about, I told you about the movie, I told you about the refrigerator. The final thing I want to talk to you about, the 3D glasses. And I'm finished. When I think about the 3D glasses as pastor, it's emotional for me because many of you sitting out there, you're not just faces to me because being the pastor of a small church, Many times, many of you I grew up with, some of you I knew your parents, and many of you I've known for several years, and many of you have shared things with me personally, some you've shared with your friends, some things, sometimes I might be the only person you've shared those things with. So I have, when I say 3D glasses, when you go to a movie theater that's, that's 3D, if you look at the screen without the glasses, sometimes you can see what's going on, other times it just looks real fuzzy. But what I can tell you is that without the glasses, you're not seeing the fullness of what's being presented in the picture. You're not seeing the full capabilities of what has been prepared for you 
unless you put the glasses on. And as pastor, I feel like when I look out at you and when I see your story and I hear your testimony and when I even see you rejoice or when I see you come to church, I I feel like I'm looking at you with 3D glasses because a lot of times I know more of the story than some other people do. And it makes me excited on the inside to see your progress. It makes me excited on the inside to see where God has brought you. And it reminds me of this, and most of you are tapped into this story, but on the other, uh, last year, my son, Joseph and Justin, graduated. And when I say this simple statement, you may begin to understand the 3D multiple dimensional aspect of this statement. I saw my son, Joseph, walk across the stage and graduate from high school. And if you don't know the story, that's not saying much. But when you know the fullness of the story, when you can see the story in 3D, you begin to appreciate it. And the same as I do as pastor with many of your stories, when I know where you've come from and I see where you're at right now, I begin to have a stronger appreciation of what God has done for you. Because when I make the statement that he walked across the stage and got his high school diploma, I I have to... Lay, lay down the background to let you know that a few months before he was born, the doctor suggested that he should be aborted. That, that not long before he was born, they said he would never walk. Not long before he was born, they sat my wife and I down and said he would have trouble mentally comprehending things. That there are literally subjects that they didn't think he would be able to pass because he wouldn't have the mental capacity to understand the complexity of those subjects. So if you understand a little bit that, you begin to appreciate the 3D nature and the multidimensional aspect of when I say my son Joseph walked across the stage and picked up his diploma. And then they said even if he does walk, he'll likely lose the ability to walk. And then not only that, they showed us studies and pictures of those who who in his condition never walked. But just a few months after his twin brother began to walk, Joseph said, I think I can do that too. So then he began to pull up on the table like he saw his brother pull up on the table. And he began to go from table to couch like he saw his brother do. And a few months later, even without any assistance, he began to walk on his own there at his babysitter, who was a pastor and wife who had been praying for him since the moment that he had stepped inside their house. I I want again to give you a little context when I make the statement. My son Joseph walked across the stage and picked up his diploma. And you know, when he walked across the stage, they didn't have a wheelchair. He didn't have crutches. He didn't have a walker. He had gone through multiple surgeries, but he still walked across the stage. They said that, that, that what was happening in his head might, might cause him to be limited, but, but he still walked across the stage. And the thing about it is he walked across the stage and you know what? Some people clapped because they knew him, but some people cried because they knew the story. And I came to tell you that one of the most beautiful things as being your pastor is a Sometimes when I see you praising God, some people are clapping because of the achievement, but I'm crying on the inside because I know where God brought you from. I know what it took for you to get to where you are. I, I, I know that when you, you were feeling like the doctor gave you the diagnosis and you didn't think that you might live another day, but yeah, you're here right now. I, I know when you came to your wit's end and you got to the point where you even stopped praying about it. I wish somebody were in here with me right now. You stopped praying about it because you didn't think that it was meant to happen to you. You stopped praying about it because you didn't think it was intended for you. You stopped praying because the 
the devil said you'll never have it, but now you have it because you know that God is able to do anything. So while somebody's clapping, excuse me if I, if I take a moment and cry. Excuse me if I shed a few tears when I see your child graduate, that when people told them they were in special education and they had so many mental deficiencies that they didn't think that they would ever graduate. But excuse me if I cry a little. Excuse me if I cry when I see you walk in when you literally were bed bound and the doctor said you'd never leave this hospital, but you're in the house right now giving God the glory and the praise. Excuse me if I look through my 3D glasses and see beyond a dimension that nobody else may can appreciate to understand that where you are right now is the result of circumstances that you might not have the time to explain. I don't have time to tell you my full testimony. I don't have time to tell you the fullness of what God did. And in some ways, I can't tell you because I myself, I don't understand why he did it. I wish somebody went, I, I don't know how he did it. I don't, I don't know how he brought me out. I don't know how he healed me. I don't know how he was able to bring to pass that which they said never would happen. I don't know how I was able to get that job that they said I wasn't qualified for. I don't know how to tell you I'm living in the home that they said I never qualified for. I don't know how to tell you how I'm living beyond the relationship that I thought was going to take me out of here. I don't know how to tell you how God mended that relationship that the devil tried to break into pieces. I don't know how to tell you how I was able to maintain my mind through the greatest tragedy that occurred in my life, but some way, somehow, God did it. I wish I had a witness in here who will say that I don't know how he did it, but God did it. Somebody say it with me. Say, I don't know how he did it, but I know God did it. It's like the blind man that the Pharisees were trying to question. They began to question the man and they began to ask him, who healed you? And he said, I don't know much about the man, but he said, a man named Jesus, he healed me. And they began to ask him a lot of questions. They asked him who your mama is and who your daddy is and where did you come from and how long you've been blind and do you believe in Jesus? The man finally said, I'm tired of asking all of these questions. I'm tired of answering all of these questions. He said, all I know is this morning when I woke up, I was blind and a man named Jesus, he put his hands on my eyes and now I'm able to see. And I came to tell somebody, uh, you might not be able to explain the whole testimony, uh, but you can just tell them, I know that God did it. Uh, I dare to point at somebody uh, and say, I know uh, that God did it. Uh, and when you know God did it, uh, people can't change your mind. Uh, they can't tell you that God ain't real. Uh, they can't tell you that Jesus ain't alive. They can't tell you that it didn't rise from the dead. Uh, they can't tell you that it won't still do it. Uh, they can't tell you that it was only in the Bible. But I have a testimony uh, that he, I know. Uh, somebody say, I know. Uh, he lives. Everybody stand until your feet. Come on, give God some praise. Say, I know. I know. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know he's real. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I know he's real. I know he's real and whatever he did for me, he's no respecter of persons, I'm not special. Whatever he did for me or whatever he did for you, he can do the same thing 
for somebody else and I'm speaking to somebody who's in a place where you need a miracle in your life but I want you to know that God he can still do it God is able and I know I don't have a question about it in my mind I can tell you for a fact I know God is real I know he's real and I know he still performs miracles because he's done it for me I see many out there I know that he's done it for you and all we can do is just give God the praise and the glory for that which he has done. Praise him for what? For what he's done. And I'm a living testimony that, that I've heard the song sung, but I had, I had to get old enough for it to happen to me. I heard them singing the song when I was younger, but I wasn't old enough to appreciate it, mothers. But when I got a little older, I began to appreciate the words of the song that says it may not come when you want it. He, he may not come when you want it. May not happen on your timetable. May not happen in the sequence of events that you put together in your mind. You've already mapped out your destiny and at this moment this is going to happen and, and that's going to happen. It may not happen when you want it, but I want you to know before you give up, I want you to know my God is always on time. Somebody say always. He's always. He's always. He's always on time. So what I want to say to those who are here and to those who are watching, that being a pastor, it's a struggle. Being a pastor, it has its challenges. But I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. God... God has shown us some things. God has shown, and even in this year, God has shown us so many things. He's pulled some things out of me that I didn't know were there. He's pulled some things out of you that you didn't know were there. He's pulled some things out of my family, my wife and my son, my children. He's pulled some gifts out of them that we didn't know that were there. But the thing about it is, God sees, Dad always said, pro video. God's providence, he sees in advance. He knew and prepared us for this moment, even when, though we didn't know it was coming. God was giving us skills years ago that he knew would come, become necessary in this moment. And we praise God for him seeing in advance and putting things together even when we don't understand. Can I pray with you? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your people. Lord, we, we, we thank you for your word and, and this story. Lord, we must be reminded that there will always be critics in our lives, but we have to understand it takes less to mock than it does to build. And we must be builders. We also understand, Lord, that each of us has our own capacity, Lord, just like that refrigerator has what it has. Lord, you've blessed us with the capacity, but Lord... Let us be reminded that when we've, after we've done all we can, Lord, just stand on your word, stand on your promises, stand on knowing what you've told us to do. And finally, Lord, let us understand and appreciate the multidimensional aspects of our own story. Lord, let us never forget what we've been through to get to where we are. And when we give you the glory, Lord, let us be mindful of every step you brought us through that allowed us to be in the place where we are. Lord, let us, not, let us not get complacent, Lord. Let us not neglect to give you the glory and the praise. 
Let us not forget where we came for, but let us never even forsake the day of small things. But Lord, let's be reminded of where you brought us for and give you the glory that you're due for where you have brought us to. And Lord, we ask all these things in thy son Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, put those hands together and give God some praise. Hallelujah. For those of you who've been watching us virtually online or on any of the applications or social media, we praise God for you. And we pray that you continue to live with expectation until we shall see you again. Come on, Bright. I hope and pray that each of you were touched and inspired by our service today. If you wish to partner with us, you can do so by Give a Fun. Download the app on Apple Store or Google Play and search for Bright Temple. If you wish to partner with us on Cash App, just look for Bright Temple in the two line. And in the four line, tell us the purpose of your gift. If you would rather mail your gift, you can mail us at Bright Temple, Post Office Box 453, Shelbyville, Tennessee, 37162. Thanks in advance for your generosity, and we pray God's blessings on you and your gift.